Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 12, beginning of verse 22 is where we'll be. We left off a few weeks ago in our series, Going Through the Gospel According to Matthew, and where we left off was in the heat of a debate and kind of a toe-to-toe tension between Jesus and the Pharisees, who were the kind of the religious elite of the day. And they were arguing about whether or not you could heal on the Sabbath, work on the Sabbath. And they challenged Jesus to heal this guy on the Sabbath, which they perceived to be work. And Jesus, of course, heals him. And the Pharisees lose it. And they want to destroy Jesus. And to add on to that, more people are bringing more people to Jesus for him to heal them. And he does. And things escalate. And the tension gets even higher as more, as more fire gets brought into this moment. And what happens in today's passage, beginning in verse 22, is Jesus and the Pharisees, of course, the Pharisees would pick another fight with him. And Jesus turns to the Pharisees and turns to us today, and he warns us and alerts us about something. Something you may have heard called the unforgivable sin. And this is what Jesus addresses today. The Pharisees and what they believe about him. And this is what Matthew wants to bring to us today. What we think about Jesus. Where we are with him. So let's begin reading in verse 22 of, of Matthew chapter 12. And if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the word of Christ. It'll also be up on, up on the screen. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him, to Jesus. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see. And all the crowds were astounded and said, could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, They said, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, By whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the one to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. 
A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good. An evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we listen and as we look at your words to us, these inspired, God-breathed words to us, would they hit us today like a double-edged sword, like a coal from the throne room with people who have often been full of unclean lips. Would you cleanse us now by the power of the blood of your Son? We no longer grieve the Spirit. And would we enjoy the forgiveness we can find in your son, Father? So meet us now, help us now, King Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray, Lord. Amen. Maybe seated. December 2006. That is when the blasphemy challenge began. A group called the Rational Response Squad challenged people to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. To, according to them, to commit the unforgivable sin, to seal your fate to hell, all inspired by the verses we read this morning and in the parallel accounts in Mark and Luke. What they told people was to film a video of themselves telling their life story, maybe how they grew up in church, maybe how they've been around religion and how they've left it all behind and then to look at the camera and then according to them to commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and say to the camera, I deny the Holy Spirit. YouTube is full of these videos, stacked with them, the blasphemy challenge. People looking at the camera and saying, I deny the Holy Spirit. Well, let's think about it. Is that really what the unforgivable sin is? Is the unforgivable sin, an unforgivable sin a meme? Is the unforgivable sin a semi-viral moment? saying, you deny the Holy Spirit. No, that's not it at all. The the ironic thing about it, the people who were trying to commit the unforgivable sin didn't even commit it because they didn't really understand the passage, what, what it's all about. So what is the unforgivable sin? You, you may have some questions about it, as, as we read. Or maybe you've heard that phrase before, and, and I think you should have questions for good reason. And one of the questions I've heard before and and have heard recently, can Christians commit the unforgivable sin? Is there a kind of sin that Christians can commit that God says, I am now going to withhold my forgiveness and damn you to hell? Can Christians blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Other questions I've heard is people asking, how do I know if I've committed the unforgivable sin? What do I do if I have? How do I make sure I don't? Well, I think the the most helpful answer to all of those questions, can Christians commit the sin, have I committed it, is to define it. Because once you know what it is, you know the answer to all of those questions. Can Christians commit it? Have I committed it? What, What do I do? How do I make sure I don't? When you know what it is, you'll know. You'll know. So what is it? Well, let's look at the context. What's happening in in the passage? Jesus and the Pharisees 
that's one battle happening, but there's another battle happening underneath that battle, and it's Jesus and the demonic forces going head to head. What's happening here in the passage is Jesus is pushing back the darkness and he's kicking demons out of town. Look at verse 22. So then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see. So Jesus is casting out demons, healing the afflicted, those who have been held captive by the spiritual forces of evil. He's, he's winning, As the son of God, Jesus is taking back ground that Satan has. What we have is the one who is called the prince of peace now battling against the one who is the prince of darkness. As Paul calls him in Ephesians 2, the prince of the power of the air. Demons swirling in the air about us, flying around the earth. Jesus is taking back the ground that Satan has. And the crowd sees it. Look at 23. Look at the crowd's response. All the crowds were astounded and said, could this be the son of David? So that question is freighted with all kinds of Old Testament imagery. The crowd's blown away. I mean, wouldn't you be? You're seeing blind people see. You're seeing people who were deaf being able to hear. Jesus is healing lepers and all kinds of diseases. Jesus, and everywhere he goes, he is like a flashlight that's got full brightness under a dumpster. And all the cockroaches are scurrying away from the brightness of the light. Everywhere Jesus goes, demons scurry like cockroaches. As the crowd sees this, they think, this could be the son of David. This could be the one that was promised to us in the Old Testament who would be God's Messiah, who would set us all free from our sins, who would reign over us forever. Could this be the one? And then what do the Pharisees say? What do the graduates of the College of Knowledge say in response to this? 24, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. So here's what's happening in this verse. The Pharisees lean in and tell the crowd, I'll tell you how Jesus is casting out demons. He is one. That's how he does it. And they believe that with every part of their DNA. Jesus is a demon. Imagine believing that. Imagine hearing someone say that to you. No, Jesus is a demon. It's it's meant to knock the air out of you. They're saying, you want to know how Jesus does this? He's a Satanist. That's how. He works for the devil, the ancient snake himself. Now remember in chapter 12, verse 14, just scan up a little bit on your Bible, just look up. Jesus heals the guy on the Sabbath, and then what? Verse 14, the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. The Pharisees have been trying to figure out how can we kill Jesus, and they think they found a way. How how could we kill Jesus without being convicted of murder? We'll use the law. We'll call Jesus a blasphemer. Blasphemers have to get stoned. We won't break the law if we call Jesus a blasphemer, label him as a demon, think he's a demon, and then now we're scot-free. They think they found the loophole. And here, beloved, this is the unforgivable sin. It is to see the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit 
and believe that's demonic. That's satanic. That's not God. That is a work of the devil. He does it by Beelzebul. It's another name for Satan. So they're refusing to believe Jesus is the Messiah. And instead of being open to him, thinking about him more, wondering, okay, maybe he is it, they just say, no, Jesus works with Satan. So do you see what this is? It's to look at Jesus, his person, his work, what he's done, and not simply just reject him as God's Messiah, not simply go, you know, I'm not sure, I, I, I need to think about this more. It is to believe he's a Satanist. He does all of this by the devil. I mean, extend, then you could extend that line of thinking to everything else. He was crucified. That was just a parlor trick of the devil. If he is alive, that was a work of the devil. Everything Jesus does, he doesn't do it by the spirit. He does it by the spirit of the devil. But beloved, the unforgivable sin is to be so far down the road from faith in Jesus that you slam the door and believe Jesus works for Satan. So can a Christian commit the unforgivable sin? No. No Christian can commit the unforgivable sin because you already have faith in Jesus. Since you already believe Jesus is the Son of God. You already believe Jesus did die on the cross for my sins. You already believe Jesus did rise again from the dead and he is enthroned as God's Messiah and he will return to judge the living, of the, the living and the dead and he will return to welcome me into his kingdom. No Christian can then look at that and say, no, I don't believe that. I don't have faith in that. And Jesus actually is the devil because you already have faith in him. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, no Christian could ever look at Jesus and say he works with the devil. So no, no Christian can commit the unforgivable sin. And Jesus tells us a little bit more about what it is. Look at verse 32. He says, whoever speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. We see this in the gospel, don't we? What happened? Peter denies Jesus. Peter actually says, I am not with him. Jesus says, if you're not with me, you're against me. Peter said, I'm not with him. Jesus says, Peter will be forgiven. And he is forgiven. Paul persecuted Christians. And Jesus himself, according to Jesus, when he persecuted Christians. Are they forgiven? Yes. And there are gonna be people you meet today, people you know who think little of Jesus, who speak against Jesus. And Jesus says, I can still forgive them. But Jesus is when it comes to a point of when they've seen the testimony of the Father, they've seen the work of the Spirit, and they've seen my work. When all of these things, when the whole triune God comes, the rubber meeting the road. And they say, I want nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, I think he should be crucified for his crimes. He works for the devil. Jesus says, those people are now, they're in a state of unforgiveness, not because God's grace isn't big enough, but because they don't want it. We're saying his mercy is more. Is that not true? Of course his mercy is more. But Jesus is saying from their perspective, they don't want forgiveness. Because the only sin that can't be forgiven is faithlessness. Once you have faith, every sin, Jesus says, every sin, verse 31, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. 
We are saved by grace through faith. So faith is the Jenga block of forgiveness. Once you have faith, that block gets wiggled. You pull that block out, the whole tower comes crumbling down in a good way. All those blocks, all those sins can be forgiven. When you have faith, you hold in that block, I have faith, I, I forgive your adultery, I forgive your lying, I forgive your lust, I forgive your greed, I forgive your envy, I forgive all of these things. But if you say, no, I, I don't want the block of forgiveness. I don't want that from Jesus. Okay. It's unforgivable. Faith is the skeleton key to unlocking the storage unit of God's forgiveness. So can a Christian forget it, commit the sin? No. Christians want forgiveness. You have it. We can't commit the sin. We have faith in Jesus. So if you aren't a Christian, maybe you're wondering, have I committed the sin, the unforgivable sin? I'm just saying, as many people have said before, if you're worried if you've committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. Because you already have in your heart a I wondering, can I be forgiven by God? And the answer to that is yes. You can be forgiven by God. If you want forgiveness, you can have it. It's yours. If you don't want it, then you don't care. These Pharisees, they don't want it from Jesus. But the crowds do. The thief on the cross does. If you want forgiveness, just believe that the Lord Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And he rose again from the dead and sits on the throne of the universe as God's Messiah, inviting you into his kingdom and you will be saved. Friends, Jesus wants to see, wants you to see who he really is and what he's doing and why it's good for you today. That's that's what's happening in this passage. To see, it's not all just about the unforgivable sin. It's bigger than that. It's to see what Jesus is doing in the world and what Jesus wants from you today. So what is, what is Jesus doing? Well, after he challenges the, the Pharisees and he hears them call him the ruler, working with the ruler of demons, Jesus says, well, let's get logical then. Let's just think about this. Look at verse 25. So Jesus, knowing their thoughts, what does that tell us? They're, they're probably whispering this to each other or other people in the crowd. And Jesus says, uh, I heard that. No, no, no. Knowing what they're thinking And he knows what you're thinking today too. He told them, as Abraham Lincoln said, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. No, Jesus says this first, not not honest Abe, dishonest Abe, I guess. Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. And no city or house divided against itself can stand. 26, if Satan drives out Satan, how how will his kingdom stand? So Jesus is saying, I'm not working for Satan. Come on, if I worked for Satan, then why am I destroying his works? So don't you see how illogical this is? But this is often where we have to go to really deny the grace of God. We have to be illogical. We, we have to throw his mercy under the bus. We have to throw his promises as though they're twisted. But what does Jesus say he's doing? Verse 28, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says, look, Satan isn't self-destructing. I'm destroying him. I'm destroying his kingdom. I'm destroying his works. 
as the Apostle John says in 1 John, the Son of God was revealed to you and me and to this world for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Jesus says, I came to kick demons out of this planet. And I came to make sinners new. I came to forgive you, to pay for your sins, to give you new life. I came to heel stomp the devil. The one who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, the one who's been tempting humans ever since, he is losing to me. Jesus literally healed this demon-possessed guy. A guy who couldn't hear, but now hears. A guy who couldn't see, but now sees. That is a metaphor for the crowds and for you and me. There was a time in your life when you couldn't hear the gospel, but then you heard. Why? Jesus gave you ears to hear. There were times when you would read the Bible, it doesn't make sense. You listen to worship songs, it doesn't make sense. And then all of a sudden you could see, oh my goodness, Jesus really is the Savior. What happened? Jesus gave you eyes to see. And so some people in the crowds, they're beginning to see. But the Pharisees can't see and they can't hear. And so part of the, what's happening, Jesus wants you to see, what, what am I doing? I give people eyes to see my kingdom. I give people ears to hear what I'm saying. So uh, do you hear and see the gospel? Do you really, what do you believe about Jesus? You know, and I, I totally, I, I heard this story recently, read about it with Tim Keller famous pastor and other Presbyterian pastors, they were talking about growing up in church and how they all kind of lamented and said, you know, I didn't hear the gospel in church growing up. I, I didn't hear it in church growing up either. I, I can't believe that the church I went to, they didn't preach the gospel. And they all kind of sat back and started thinking, it can't be that all of our churches, none of them preach the gospel. Maybe it was that we didn't have ears to hear it and we didn't have eyes to see it. And then God gave us those eyes. And so I totally believe with all my heart that there will be kids sitting in the services, uh, younger people sitting in the services, and they'll be at another church in the future and they're gonna say, I never heard the gospel growing up at Redeemer Church. That loser, Jeff Matters, he never preached the gospel. I never heard it. I just totally believe that's gonna happen because, because you need God to open your ears and you need Christ to open your eyes like he does for this demon-possessed guy, like he does for many. Because he came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus changes people. He sets them free. The works of the devil in this world, in this city, in this town, in our lives, Jesus is undoing it so much so that one day all the evils of this world will have nowhere to hide and Satan will have nowhere left to slither. Because behold, the Lord says, I am making all things new. Well, the Pharisees don't understand. Big shocker. So he gets even more practical with them. He, look at 29. Look at the example he uses. I love this from Jesus. It's so unexpected and surprising. So if you don't understand that the kingdom of God has come upon you, that I'm here doing the work by the spirit of God, let's talk about robbing a house. I'm sure Pharisees, you understand that. Since you're a bunch of spiritual crooks, let's talk about it. 29, how can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? If he does that, then he can plunder his house. So here's what Jesus is saying. He, I love that he compares it to a house getting robbed. How does that happen? You gotta tie up the big guy. If you don't tie up the owner, if you don't tie up Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're gonna get beat up. You got to get the pit bull out of the way. You got to get all threats out of the way. So Jesus says, guess what? I tied up the strong man. 
I have entered into, quote unquote, Satan's house. And I have tied him up and I am plundering his kingdom. And I am setting captives free. Jesus says, I win. I don't work with him. I'm destroying him. So come and join my kingdom. This is what Jesus is saying. Come and join me. I'm bringing it in. I'm bringing in the kingdom of God by the spirit of God. Join me. So here's what Matthew's doing. And you're gonna see this in Matthew. This is really Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is their entire same strategy. They are showing you the activity of Jesus. This is what all the gospels do. Show you the activity of Jesus, him healing, him casting out demons, him rising people from the dead, him doing miracles. They're showing you his teaching, his parables, his Sermon on the Mount, all of that, all of his activity to bring you to his identity. Who do you think he is? This is exactly what happens with the crowd. He must be the son of David. He must be the son of man. And sometimes crowds leave. Jesus turns to the crowd and goes to his disciples, you guys gonna leave too? But what do they say? No, we know your identity. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, and you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we gonna go? So this is what Matthew's trying to show us. Do you see the activity of Jesus? You cannot just read this account of him saying, I'm destroying Satan and go, well, that's kind of cool. It's meant to take you to go, do you see who I am? So who do you think Jesus is? This is the biggest question in your life. And it sets the course for everything else in your life. How you handle your money, how you handle romance, how you handle parenting, how you handle your work, how you handle forgiveness. The question of who is Jesus, it just really matters for everything in your life. Do you remember Millie Vanilli? When I read this passage, I had to think of Millie Vanilli. If you don't know who Millie Vanilli is, show your kids on YouTube later or Google it later. Millie Vanilli was a famous duo. Top the charts, top songs, great dancers, looked the part. They did all the right things to become superstars, to become famous singers. But what was the, what was the truth? It was lip synced. They couldn't sing. It was all phony. It was a hoax. They couldn't do any of it. So what Matthew and what the gospel writers are trying to show us is Jesus isn't Millie Vanilli. He really can dance and sing. He really is the real deal. He really is the son of God. He really is God in the flesh. He really is the Lord of all. He really is the savior. And when Jesus, Jesus really put his messiahship where his mouth is, when he said, you guys will kill me and I will rise again in three days. He really did die and he really did rise again from the dead. And he really can forgive you. And he really does love you. And he really does care about you. And he really can help you. See, the devil wants to frustrate you wants to fasten you to your sins, wants you to feel like you have no hope in this world. But Jesus comes in and says, I am bringing the kingdom of God. I can forgive you. I can give you a hope. I can give you a future. So whatever is plaguing you, Jesus is enough to set you free. He can deliver you from your sins. Whatever trials and frustrations you have in your life, Jesus can give you strength to go through them. And this is where Jesus goes next. 
This is what Jesus wants to show us. What does he want from us? Okay, I see he's really the Lord. I see he really is the Messiah. I see what he's doing. What does he want from me today, right now? 2019, last Sunday in September, what does Jesus want from everyone in this room? Verse 30. Anyone, it's everybody in this room. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. What does Jesus want? Allegiance. Full, pledged allegiance, faith, and trust. I mean, I just love how freshly Windex, you know how when you, you get that mirror Windex, how clear it is? You Windex that, that window, how clear. This is a clearly Windexed verse for what it means to be with Jesus. There is no middle ground. You're either with me or against me. No neutrality. Jesus says there are two ways to live in this world, with me or against me. With Jesus or against Jesus. This is it. And the words and works of Jesus, they do draw that proverbial line in the sand. Because you think about the things Jesus says, I am God. You must worship me. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you really want to be saved. I am the only way of salvation. All these things, he draws lines in the sand and says, are you with me or against me? Choose this day whom you will serve. And by his crucifixion and by his resurrection, it is another line. When that stone was rolled back, a line was being drawn in the ground. You are either with me or against me. So where are you with Jesus today? Jesus does not want anyone in here to be just a casual churchgoer. That is probably one of the worst things you could be your whole life. It's just a a casual churchgoer. No, Jesus wants you to be a follower, to be with him. And C.S. Lewis understood this best. I think that anyone else in, in modern history, modern writings, listen to what he says from Mere Christianity. If you've never read Mere Christianity, read, read that book. He says, he says there in Mere Christianity on page 52, I am trying here in his writing to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Worship me, bow down to me. All, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me and we can go on. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. Exactly what the Pharisees are calling him. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, just like our passage today. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. 
He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Allegiance to Jesus as Lord and God. With me. Are you with him? Are you just kind of with spirituality? Are you just with, I want to go to heaven after I die? That's not Jesus. That's monopoly. Jesus is more than just zapping you to heaven when you die. He's Lord now, Savior now. And recall when Jesus is on walking on the edge of the Sea of Galilee and he calls out to Peter and those other fishermen, what does he say? Receive me into your heart and go to heaven after you die. No, follow me, be with me, come with me. He doesn't say admire me, respect me, but follow me, follow me. All of your allegiance thrown into Jesus, all of your life, all of your hopes, how you think parenting should be done, it is now flipped upside down by Jesus. How you think romance should be accomplished and achieved and enjoyed in this world, it is now reorganized by Jesus. How you handle your money, how you view your work, how you view forgiveness, how you view grudges, how you view how you talk in traffic, all of this stuff. I'm now with Jesus and he really is Lord over my life. Whatever Jesus says, he wins. Whatever his scriptures teach, he wins. Are you with him? What do you think of him? This is the most important question in your life, what you think of Jesus. That's where he goes next in verse 33. He says, look, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. You will know it for a tree is known by its fruit. He says, look to the Pharisees, what fruit do you see in me? I'm healing people. I'm casting out demons. I'm doing all kinds of great stuff. What are you guys doing? Brood of vipers? You bunch of baby snakes? You guys are the ones who are the spawn of Satan, not me. So he's asking the Pharisees, I see with my little eye. What do you see with your little eye? Do you see what I see? And that's what Jesus is asking us. What do you see from me? Don't you see my activity? That's meant to lead you to see my identity. And this is also true of us. Jesus says, and I see And I see your fruit. Jesus tells the crowds, the Pharisees and us today, I see fruit on your tree too. What is it? Look at 35. A good person produces good things. Now, this word good isn't the way we view the word good. This is the word righteous. A right standing person before God. A righteous person produces righteous things from his storeroom of righteousness. An evil person See, the contrast isn't good and bad. It's righteousness and evil. An evil person produces evil things from a storeroom of evil. I tell you, on that day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word. More, more, more literally, worthless. Not just like, oops, I accidentally said a swear word in traffic. This is a worthless word. So Jesus says, I see your fruit. Do you see it? And listen, Jesus isn't saying, because sometimes people hear this verse and they're like, oh man, oh, they're all spooked out about Judgment Day. That's not what this verse is about. Jesus is not saying, get ready, there's gonna be a jumbotron after you die. 
And everything you said about your mother-in-law is gonna be played right there in front of the angel choir and there'll be good notes and bad music played for whatever you said. That's not what's going on here. Your social media feed's not gonna be pumped up on the jumbotron. Jesus is saying, what you say about me matters. That's why he says, for by your words, you will be acquitted or by your words, you'll be condemned. So that could sound like, oh, if we say a lot of nice things, I'll get to go to heaven. If I say a lot of bad things, I'm going to hell. No, Jesus is saying, what's the whole context of the passage? What the crowd said about me, what the Pharisees said about me. So what you say about me, because it comes from your heart. If you are righteous, you say right things about me. If you are evil, you say evil things about me. That's the context right here. Friends, what you articulate about Jesus, what you believe about Jesus, it matters for judgment day. Not merely the good deeds you've done, the the church attendance or the being a good person, what you believe about Jesus. So what does Jesus want from you? Allegiance, faith, trust. Be with him. Because if you're not, then you're against him. Listen, hell is going to be filled with people that the world thinks those are good people. And heaven is going to be filled with people that the world thinks are scumbags. Jeffrey Dahmer professed faith in Christ at the end of his life. If that was real, and by God's mercy, we hope it is, the world thinks heaven's gonna be filled with scumbags. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Jesus saves scumbags. Jesus saves losers. Jesus saves sinners. So at the end of the age, when the trumpet sounds, the Christian's confidence is Christ, Lord of all. So right now, today, we must resolve and believe with all of our hearts, I am with Jesus. No more neutral ground. No, as Jesus says in Revelation, no more hot, cold I mean, no more lukewarmness. Or whether you be hot than, or, or cold. You get, no, no, one, no. Right there with him. You're either with him or against him. Don't get caught on the wrong side of the trumpet. Follow him today. Believe in him today. Trust him with the darkness in your life today because he is the light. Be with him. Because if you're not, then you are against him. Join Jesus. Follow him today. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come to you recognizing you are the son of God. You are the son of David. You have driven out our sins by your cross and by the resurrection. You are not just a great teacher, but you are a great God and savior. You are our Messiah. And so we, we are with you. And so we want to follow. We want to gather with you. We, we want to join the harvest. We want to be one of those workers that is, we know that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we want to gather with you because we're with you. We want to go on mission with you. We want to be followers of you. We want to tell people about you and tell other people, this is the son of David. This is the Messiah. This is the Lord. So help us, King Jesus. Help us to not view you just as a end of the week top off of spirituality. 
but to view you as our life. Help us, King Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.